So, for a really long time, I have had a lot of trouble with organic chemistry. Like, for some reason, it just doesn't seem to go into my head. Like, I understand bits and pieces, but then, like, when you put it together, I get really confused. So, I'm just gonna try recording what I know to see if maybe while explaining I can piece things together or maybe like afterwards I'm like oh wow eureka and then like somehow get the subject because honestly if I'm not good with organic chemistry I can kiss um, my dreams goodbye because apparently um, in the test that I really want to take um, chemistry is the easiest part. It's the one that can get you the most marks and half of that is organic chemistry. So yeah, enough about that. Let's actually move on to the explanation. The chapter's name is Haloalkanes, Haloarenes, and Grignard Reagents. So the path for learning organic chemistry, according to my teacher, goes this way. We start with the definition, then the classification, move on to nomenclature, then figure out the methods of preparation, the physical properties, chemical reactions, and then their applications. That's essentially all we have to learn. So how many are there? One, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. Now, we'll start with number one, the definitions. A haloalkane, well, before I go to like the actual textbook stuff, haloalkane, haloarene. And alkane is basically um, a saturated organic compound, meaning you have a CH um, and maybe some other substituents, and they're all connected to each other with, double, oh, with single bonds, sorry. And then arene is basically another name for benzene compounds, or not just benzene, just aromatic compounds. Right, and benzene is the most popular among all of them. I pity the other ones. Um, so yeah, and the prefix halo just indicates that there is a halogen attached somewhere to the whole um, hydrocarbon. So yeah, let's go to the actual definitions now. A haloalkane is a halogen derivative of an alkane. All we do is just replace some hydrogen with an X and we get a haloalkane. A haloarene is a halogen derivative of an aromatic compound, so it's the same thing, um, replace the H with an X. Number two, classification. Um, classification of our halo compounds is done um, on the basis of two things. The first basis, is the one that we can take, is um, the classification based on the number of halogens. If it has one halogen, monohalo, two, di, three, trihalo, four, tetrahalo, you get the point. Um, that's the easy one. Now we move on to the classification based on the hybridization of the carbon to which the halogen is attached. And throughout this chapter, I'm going to be referring to the halogen, any generic halogen as just X. So when I say X, just remember that I'm talking about any random halogen, except tennessine, because that's radioactive and it's not Chernobyl. So, um... Yeah, classification based on the hybridization of C to which X is attached. Um, here we mainly have two kinds. The ones attached to an sp3 hybridized carbon. So basically the carbon has four orbitals being all hybridized, one s orbital and three p orbitals. And then um, we have an sp2 carbon, um, an X attached to an sp2 carbon. Um, so here the carbon... Basically, we have an S and two P orbitals coming together to make a hybrid, and one P is left all by itself. So, 
uh, yeah, attached to an sp3 carbon. Under this, we have five categories. The first one is the primary alkyl halide. Now, a primary alkyl halide is basically when the X is attached to a first degree carbon. So a first degree carbon Whenever we talk about the degree of a carbon, right, we're just talking about how many other carbons it's attached to. So if I say primary alkyl halide, I'm just saying that this halogen is attached to a carbon that's only attached to one other carbon. So whenever we say primary, secondary, or tertiary halide, um, we're basically talking about the carbon to which the halogen is attached. It's like who the carbon is, the identity of the carbon is what's passed on to the halogen. So a primary alkyl halide is when an X is attached to a primary carbon, a carbon attached to one carbon. A secondary alkyl halide is when we have an X attached to a carbon that's attached to two other carbons. Tertiary, the X is attached to a carbon that's attached to three other carbons. And then the next one is an allyl halide or an allele halide, Depend I don't know, it's just fun to say allele, allele is, it's too much work, so allele, we have primary, secondary, and tertiary again, now, an allele is basically when you have a double bond, you know, between two carbons, and then a single bond projecting out of it, um, the single bond projecting out of it, the one in the sad little corner, while these two are in their double bond, the third wheel, that's going to be our allelic carbon. So when we have um, a primary allelic carbon, then it's a primary allele halide. So when I say primary allelic carbon, um, remember that sad third wheel? That sad third wheel is only connected to one carbon, and that one carbon is the one that's in a double bond with the other. So that's primary. Now, a secondary one would be if we have this carbon that the X is attached to, that's connected to the one that's in that double bond and it's connected to another one on, on the side. And then for a tertiary allele halide, you have the same thing. Um, this carbon bonded to the double bond carbon, one of them, and then two other carbons that are not from the double bond. So all in all, we have three carbons to which it's attached. And the fifth type of um, the classification thing um, of an X attached to an sp3 carbon would be a benzyl halide. So yeah, it's the same thing. Before you put in a double bond, right? Um, and then the third wheel was the allelic carbon. In this case, instead of the double bond, you have a benzene ring, and the third wheel is the benzylic carbon. So you can figure out from there. And after this, we have the classification based on the hybridization of the carbon, so we come to the sp2 hybridized carbon. So here we can have a vinyl halide, where it's um, instead of the carbon third wheeling with the carbon in the double bond with another carbon, um, you have an X. A halogen that's third wheeling with those two carbons in the double bond and in an aryl halide um, we have the X attached directly to the double bond of one of the sp2 hybridized carbons of the ring so it's attached directly to one of the members of the ring and that is that now we come to the nomenclature we finished the what did we finish we finished the definitions we finished the classification so now it's the nomenclature 
Now, we can have two types of names. We can have the common name and we can have the IUPAC name. Now, the common name would be something like an alkyl halide, but an IUPAC name would be haloalkane. A common name would be aryl halide. An IUPAC name would be haloarene, right? So, there's really not much to say in this, really. Um, when you're going for a common name, you usually use things like N-propyl chloride, N-butyl, secondary butyl, isopropyl, vinyl, metachloro, metadibromo, all of that, right? So you use meta to say that the chlorines or the two substituents are like, I don't know, one carbon away from each other on a benzene ring or something like that, right? But then when you come to an IUPAC nomenclature thing, it's a lot more serious and you actually give names. So N-propyl chloride would become one chloropropane. And the IUPAC nomenclature is a lot more logical. There are certain steps that you need to follow and rules that need to be kept in mind while naming them. And that's done. So that's the end of this part. kids today we're going to be learning about the methods of preparation of haloalkanes and haloarenes plus 100 points if you got the pun minus five if you didn't so the first one we're going to be learning is how to prepare a haloalkane um, and we have four different types the first one is when we use alcohols in various ways the second is when we use alkanes. The third is when we use alkenes, the ones with the double bonds. And the last one is when we use a halogen exchange reaction. So number one, from alcohols. The first way we're gonna prepare it from alcohols is using a halogen acid, which includes HI, HBr, and HCl because fluorination is way too hard. Um, so yeah, the general reaction goes ROH plus HX gives us RX plus H2O. Now, what happens? Um, when we look at this whole reaction, basically what happens is we have an ROH and then we have an HX, right? And the H is a partial positive and the X has a partial negative because the X likes the electrons more. So even though it's a covalent bond, it pulls the electrons towards itself. So what happens is the lone pair of electrons on the oxygen atom of the OH um, from the alcohol, that tries to go towards the positive partial positively partially positively charged hydrogen and that kicks the x away so it goes out as x minus and we end up with a positive charge on the oxygen plus one extra hydrogen on the oxygen so we end up with roh twice with the positive on the o now the x that was kicked out um the first case is when we have a primary alcohol, right? So now the X has a lot of space, so it easily goes towards the R, and we end up with R A R X plus H2O. The second thing that can happen is that it directly forms an R plus, the H2O is kicked off, and we're left with an R plus, and then the X minus, attacks the R plus. It doesn't happen at once. It waits for the R plus to come out alone and only then it attacks. Then we end up with Rx and this is for secondary, tertiary, um, or benzyl or allele alcohols, right? So 
In the second case, in terms of, in the case of the secondary, tertiary, benzyle, and allele alcohols, we found that we had an R plus being formed, right? And this is a carbocation, which I will refer to as a carbocat. So this carbocat needs to be kept stable so that we can have a faster reaction, right? Um, the more stable the R plus will be, the more likely it is to dissociate into that. So in order of the stability of the carbocation, we have that the benzyl alcohol is more stable than the allele alcohol, which is more stable than the tertiary alcohol, which is more stable than the secondary alcohol, which is eventually more stable than the primary alcohol. And because of this, the primary alcohol generally doesn't go for the thing where you go for an R plus first and then get attacked by the X minus to get Rx. Now, the reactivity order with respect to HX depends greatly on the leaving ability of the negative part um, of the whole atom. So HI is more reactive than HBr, which is more reactive than HCl, which is more reactive than HF. Now, when we use HCl to make an alkyl chloride, we also have to use zinc chloride. Why? Because when we try to just use HCl and ROH, what happens is that it becomes a reversible reaction and we need just the products. We don't need to get the reactants back all over again. So the anhydrous ZnCl2 takes one of the products, water, and because of this, we're removing one of the products and the reaction chooses to move in the forward direction. This is the Le Chatelier principle. So yeah, that's that. And concentrated HCl plus anhydrous zinc chloride is known as Lucas reagent. And when we convert ROH to RCl using this reagent, it's called Groove's process. Groovy. Now, um, the preparation from alcohols using PCL3 and PCL5. Um, when we use PCL3, ROH plus PCL3 gives RCl plus H3PO3. ROH plus PCL5 gives us RCl plus HCl plus POCl3. Now, what if we have an unstable reagent like PBr3 or PI3? In this case, we go for an in-situ um, reaction, right? So this is Japanese for basically making the reagent while reacting. So instead of producing the whole thing beforehand and then mixing the two together, you just mix all three together and um, end up with what you need. So in this case, um, this is basically for the halogens like bromine and iodine. So in this case, it's ROH in the presence of P plus Br2. So we're, combi we're combining red phosphorus and bromine in the reaction mixture to get RBr and ROH in the presence of phosphorus and um, iodine. So here we're making phosphorus and iodine in the reaction mixture. We're not preparing them beforehand and that gives us Ri. So now that we're done with that method, we can move on to the next method, you know, again from alcohols but this time we're using thionyl chloride socl2 now this is supposedly the best method to make um a, a halo chloral alkane sorry from an alcohol so basically we're taking roh plus socl2 and this gives us rcl and so2 and hcl are released as gas and because they go away as gas they won't stay in the reaction mixture so the only thing that we'll be left with is pure rcl and because of this it's like i said the best method and this whole reaction is called darzen's reaction now one thing i want you to remember before we move on to the next method of prep is that 
all these reagents that we've talked about, HX, PCL3, PCL5, SOCL2, they can't substitute the OH when it's directly attached to a benzene. So basically, it can't be, um, we can't substitute a benzylic OH. I don't know if that's a thing, but we can't do it when it's attached directly to the benzene ring. Now we move on to the second method of PrEP, which is preparing haloalkanes from alkanes via free radical substitution. So the general reaction for this would be CH4 plus X2 in the presence of some radiation or heat gives us CH3X plus HX. So see here, um, the hydrogen, one of the hydrogens was kicked off the methane and replaced with an X and the one that was kicked off that came together with the X that was left. So here there are three steps for the reaction. The first one is the initi initiation. Gods, I can't speak today. Right, so here are X2. Um, this one is not very strong. So it's like easily broken down in the presence of radiation and it undergoes homolytic fission. That means we had an X2, right? And both of them were sharing their electrons. So they both end up with one extra electron each. So they're called a free radical, right? The next is the propagation. Here the free radical attacks one of the hydrogens of the CH4. So basically it says, hey, hydrogen, come over here. So it forms, it uses that extra electron um, and this CH bond that it's breaking, um, the carbon takes one electron, the hydrogen takes one electron, H and X come together sharing those two electrons and they form HX, which we see in the product. And then we end up with um, a CH3 radical. Now, this radical is basically what combines with um, what do you call it? The other X radical to form a CH3X and that keeps going on. And then um, the reaction we're left with CH3 radicals and X radicals. So let's just call them A and B. The possible combinations are um, 2AB, 2, I'm sorry, AB or AA or BB, right? So three possible things. Now, if we use an excess of halogen, we can get di, tri, or even tetrahalo compounds. And what we do to get more of a monohalo compound is just um, increase the amount of alkane you take and reduce the amount of halogen you take. This one's pretty easy. And the total number of monohalo structural isomers that are formed is equal to the total number of different carbons present that have at least one hydrogen. So you have to make sure that whichever hydrogen you replace, it has to be from that of a chemically different position. If it's the same thing when you flip it around, then there's no point. The next one is um, preparing these haloalkanes from alkenes via electrophilic addition reaction. Right, so for this, let's consider propene, right? So in the presence of HX, we follow Markovnikov's rule, and basically what that says is that the rich get richer, right? So the hydrogen from HX, that goes to the carbon of the double bond that has the most hydrogens, right? And the I goes and attaches itself to the carbon with the least number of hydrogens. Now, the carbon with the least number of hydrogens is already attached to the most number of carbons, you know, if you compare it to the other one that it's in a double bond with. So that's more substituted. And because of that, um, 
that one is the major product. The major product is when the hydrogen attaches to the carbon of the double bond with more hydrogens, which get richer. And when the um, negative part of the thing that we're adding, in this case, the halogen that goes and attaches to the more substituted carbon. This is Markonikov's rule, right? And this basically passes through the carbocation again. So if we have to look at which is going to be more reactive or which one will form faster, then we just um, say we're given four different compounds. We just switch them into their carbocat states and then check for the stability of each. The one that's most stable will have a faster reaction. Now, after this, um, we have the anti-Markonikov rule or the Karash effect. This is basically when we use um, HX, specifically HBr, but in the presence of peroxide, whatever rule I just told you about the ridge getting richer, that gets reversed. And what was supposed to be a minor product if we followed the Markonikov rule becomes the major product in the, when we talk about the Karash effect. And apart from that, because it, it goes through the carbocation phase thingy, rearrangements are possible. We can go for either a hydride shift or a methyl shift if we have to make the carbocat more stable. Now, the final method of preparation would be from halogen exchange reactions, and there are two types. The first one is the Finkelstein reaction. This is to make the alkyl iodides. So here we take Rx, where X is bromine or chlorine, um, in the presence of NaI in acetone or methanol, which gives us Ri plus NaX, where X is again Br or Cl. Now, the reason we use acetone or methanol is because this reaction can happen in, more, in both directions. So we're trying to use Le Chatelier's principle to make sure that only the forward reaction is the one that's, you know, that's the one that's the best one, right? That's the one that's producing the most product. We don't want to keep getting more and more reactant. We need the product. So we increase the rate of the forward reaction with acetone and methanol because Rx, NaI, and Ri, they're all stable, right? So NaX is not not stable, soluble. And NaX is not soluble in it. So that one's left out. So that essentially means that we're leaving out one product of the reaction. And because of that, it proceeds in the forward direction. Finally, the Swartz reaction. This is for alkyl fluorides. So in this case, Rx in the presence of AGF and ethylene glycol gives us RF plus AGX. And we don't need to use just AGX. We can use HG2F2, COF2, and SBF2. Right, so that's about it. Now, how do you remember that Finkelstein is for iodides and Swartz is for fluoride? Um, we just have to remember that if we say that Finkelstein is for fluoride, that's wrong because two Fs can never be together. So we just have to make sure that the two beginning letters are different from each other and we'll be fine. Now we come to the preparation of aryl halides. There are two ways from number one from benzene via electrophilic aromatic substitution and number two from the benzene diazonium salts. Um, yeah, so when we go for the first one, electrophil aromatic substitution, um, we're basically going for the halide plus the Lewis acid. So benzene um, in the presence of Cl2 and the Lewis acid, AlCl3 gives us um, halobenzene plus HCl. For Br, it's the same thing. Here we use the Lewis acids AlBr3 or FeBr3. And for iodine, we take HNO3 or HiO3. Now, we can't do this with F2 because it's highly exothermic and multiple fluorination happens and we just want one. The final method um, is the preparation um, from benzene diazonium salts. So in this case, 
we can either go by the Sandmeyer reactions, the Gutterman reactions, the normal with Ki to give us um, an iodobenzene, or through the Ball-Schumann reaction. The Sandmeyer reactions, we go for Cu2x2 in the presence of Hx to give us the halobenzene. Um, in the Gutterman reactions, we go for Cu plus Hx, same product again. Um, if we need to get the iodine version, we just go for the reaction of the disonium salt with Ki. And finally, the Ball-Schumann reaction. The first thing we do is we react the disonium salt with fluoroboric acid, HBF4. Now the HX gets kicked out and we end up with the fluoroborate salt. Now if we heat it a little bit more, we get fluorobenzene and the N2 will be kicked out and the BF3 will be kicked out. And that's it for the methods of preparation. The next thing we'll be doing is the physical properties and then the reactions.